0: Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Spirit of Life in Ibiza podcast. To get to our location for the final podcast of the series, my guest and I have just taken a beautiful walk from Calaterida to Calaconta. This is one of Ibiza's most popular beaches, home to the infamous Sunset Ashram and one of the best beaches to watch the sunset from. On the walk we passed Es the Time and Space Memorial and the infamous gates that are in many a picture. From this location, we have made our way round to a beautiful cave, which some may know as the Rave Cave, and it is here that we have sat to do our podcast. Today's guest, Kai, is a well-known club promoter who set up events and brands such as Abode and Hotbed here on the island, as well as in London and various other locations. Despite being heavily linked into the party scene, Kai is now 29 weeks sober, overcoming many challenges that come from not only getting clean, but getting clean while still connected to the party world. Kai is a man of many incredible ideas, ideas which he follows through with and brings into fruition. One of these ideas was to set up a non-profit organization, the Abode Project School in Uganda. Here Kai is bringing together both his passion and his contacts in music by teaching the kids to DJ, amongst many other skills that will be honed and integrated into the school. So welcome, Kai. I'm very much looking forward to how this one's going to unfold.
1: Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me down. Um, yeah, lovely walk getting here and I'm looking forward to uh, yeah, spending the next hour with you talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about you, Kai. <laughs> uh,
0: and yeah, so we've obviously just done this, uh, this incredible walk, which I'm really grateful you brought me on because I've, I've heard a lot about some of the locations that we passed but I've never actually been to. So uh, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a beautiful experience for me. But the reason, we kind of, we, the reason we've come on this walk today is because since giving up alcohol, and congratulations on being 29 weeks sober, by the way, uh, you've really found your place in walking. This has been a little bit of an inspiration for you. Uh, so yeah, would you want to tell us a little bit about that journey?
1: Yeah, of course. So yeah, uh, Sunday just passed was my 29th week um, with no drink and no drugs in my body. Um, I found that walking for me um, has healed me it's been something to keep me busy Um, I was in the army for quite a few years as a youngster so keeping fit and getting out walking and running was something that I do on a daily basis and I've kind of put off walking for years I've got a bit lazy um, due to the lifestyle I had to kind of if I wasn't partying I was sleeping or lounging around and drinking and eating junk food but yeah, I went out on a walk um, around about two or three months ago with the local walking club, ib for walking Club. And I was hooked from one walk. with there's around about 20 people on the walk. And uh, it was like a networking walk. And after that one one walk, I was so hooked. I went to Decathlon and ended up buying a, a step counter and walking boots and a new backpack. And, yeah, from that day, I've been going out on my own every day. Started um, inviting other people and, uh, yeah, I've had been out every day for the last, God knows what, 20 weeks now. Um, we do some big walks some short walks across the island and I've started to do um, 20K walks most days now on different viewpoints of the island. So yeah, I'm, I'm discovering the island in a completely different way to what I normally would do, which would either be by car or just by yeah, sitting on a sofa watching the sun come up and down.
0: Or partying.
1: Mm, or partying, yeah.
0: <laughs> and so you've actually been inspired by these walks that you were doing and the, uh, the healing process that it's given you to actually look at creating walking retreats. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so for me, what I've realised now is if I'm feeling a bit down in the morning, not depressed, but, you know, just have a bad start to the morning, I've realised that going out walking now, for me, just completely clears my brain for two to three hours. I put my phone down, switch off, I can walk two to three hours in a day and I come back from that walk now getting the same buzz as what I used to when I was taking cocaine or, you know, drinking cocktails and things. And I think, a lot of, you know, especially I see it now on social media, like I've got quite a lot of followers that I've gained through being a promoter. And so many kids talking about being depressed and anxiety. And I think a lot of them in my circle, it's normally drug-induced. You know, it's normally the reason they're feeling like that is purely because they've taken drugs all weekend and on a Monday or Tuesday they feel like shit. Um, that's normally the case. It's not always the case, but in my circle it is. So I'm kind of like, well, if we can, if we can get these youngsters out and about and get them, get them active and get them walking, but do it somewhere where they can still go to the club, so they can still get their fix of Ibiza, then why not? So I'm looking at, uh, well, we are launching retreats in 2020, uh, which is targeting the younger audience, and we're aiming to do four days. It's all going to be for charity, um, 25 kilometres a day, and each person has to raise a, uh, a particular amount. And the money that we raise from the walk in is going to be donated to mental health charities within dance music. Um, One of them is going to be the Avicii Foundation, which was set up by Avicii's mum and dad. If you don't know who Avicii is, obviously he's one of the world's biggest EDM artists that um, committed suicide last year. So, um, yeah, I believe that walking can heal um, people that are currently broken or, you know, in a bad place. And I just think Ibiza's got so much to offer. And from my experience of coming here over the last 20 years on holiday, is if I wasn't in a club, I'd be either in the room cracking on or I'd be sat around the pool probably cracking on. And I know that is pretty much most of the people that come to Ibiza in my circle spend most of their time just, just taking drugs. And, I, you know, you can actually still go and see uh, beautiful parts of the islands through nature and walking, but you still go to the clubs at night. It's not a problem going to the clubs at night, but... We just want to get people up and about and out of bed and get them walking and get them active. So, yeah, I think it's a gap in the market. It's something we're doing for charity. So hopefully it's going to raise a lot of, lot of uh, money for, for mental health charities. But, yeah, that, that I can't go into too much detail, but that will be launching in March 2020.
0: I absolutely love that idea. And I think, you know, the idea of getting people connected back to nature... Um, especially in this on this beautiful island which is so easy to do because you know what you were saying there in your circles a lot of people um, the depression and the frustrations that happen are as a result of being on the back end of a of a massive bender but I think that's that, that's the case for a lot of people and if it's not the back end of a massive bender it's the it's the idea of needing drugs to, to to connect to something because many of us just feel disconnected because our society is set up in a way that is very difficult for us to connect into. So I think getting that connection back to nature again and just allowing people to feel something, because I feel, some, I feel <laughs> that sometimes we're so busy trying to feel and then we aren't able to feel what it is that we, we should be feeling that we end, we end up trying to numb some of that pain by taking the drugs in the first place. So yeah, that connection back to nature and back to self and it's meditative as well. It gives people that time to, of course, connect with other people and talk to each other. Uh, and make new connections, but it also gives you that time and space just to be alone with your own thoughts as well, which I think can be very healing. Although sometimes difficult to go through at the same time as well. And and I imagine with your process, of, with your process of stepping back from the intensity of the party world, you've probably had a few a few dark thoughts yourself as you've been as as you've been going through your process of moving away from alcohol and drugs.
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, like, like I said, it's twenty nine weeks now. I had a real Shit, time in June this year, it was self-inflicted from years and years of drug abuse. Um, I wasn't a big alcohol drinker, but I, I drunk the alcohol so that the drugs didn't kind of make me feel shit. So you know, we're, we're talking 20 years of drug taking, probably 50 weeks a year. Uh, the last five years in Ibiza, with doing two parties a week, you know, I probably say as three or four days a week I was on on some kind of drug. And yeah, June this year had a. A real rough patch. Felt super lonely, um, super depressed, and yeah, I think it was June the second or June the third. I just wanted to end it. I remember driving around Ibiza um, in my car. I left the house, and uh, I was in my head initially was looking for places to basically hang myself. That that was the end goal. Um, I never went through with it. I bottled it for whatever reasons, probably guilt and maybe just not having a bottle to do it. And, uh, yeah, I, I felt like I had no one to go to. I, you know, I didn't no, no, you know, I think people saw the signs of me having a breakdown and then when I eventually had a breakdown, you know, the people I thought I could rely on just weren't there for me, you know, and I've got a lot of people around me. And uh, apart from my partner um, and my family, that was that was pretty much it. And I was like, if I'm 37 years old, and I've been in this industry seven years and I'm at the top of the game and I feel like I've got nowhere to turn to, then what are other people supposed to do in the dance? What are the punters supposed to do? If there's a promoter at my level that doesn't, you know, what charities I go to, who do I call, where do I turn? I was thinking, well, where, where are these other people going to go? So this is why, obviously, I, one of the reasons I stopped and one of the reasons I'm so passionate now, on especially online, being quite vocal about, you know, just trying to teach these youngsters... And I call them youngsters because they're 18, 19, 20 years old. You know, and I'd like to think I'm being double their age. I'm entitled to call these guys youngsters now. Um, you know, the, the, the drugs they're taking now the, aren't drugs around when I was young. You know, it was, it was just pills and cocaine when I was young, growing up. But now it's ketamine, it's GHB or GB, which is that kind of liquid drug. Um, Acids, and they're mixing them all together. And there's more deaths, there's more mental health cases, there's more suicide, depression cases... Everywhere I turn on Instagram or Facebook, it's just depressing. People writing depressing statuses, and yeah, for me it was just like I I need to stop. If I can stop, I can help other people not stop because I feel at the moment that if drugs were to stop within the dance music world, the dance music world would crumble. Almost like if you just if we run out of petrol and oil tomorrow, the you know the car market would crumble. You know, but the way I see where I where I'm kind of going is I'm kind of like the kind of solar power, the eco cars, or the you know the, the battery powered cars. You know, there's a there's a small market for people that kind of wanna wanna do the partying and wanna go out clubbing and stuff, and they wanna do it, you know, in a, in a healthy way. You know, and that's kind of where I am. I'm not saying to everyone stop doing drugs. You know, they're really bad for you. Because I had the best times of my life on drugs. You know, the best times, and I don't believe I could have recreated that on alcohol you know on just alcohol alone or even sober so yeah the position I'm in at the moment I'm just trying to educate youngsters that you know you don't have to take as many drugs there's other you know there's other opportunities to go out and party and dance without taking them which is something we come on to later with my new sober party but um yeah I was in a shit place this year and I'm now 29 weeks later I'm probably in the best place I've been that I can ever remember in my life the last time I you know I sort of it, you know a down was probably in the army so I'm, I'm now 29 minutes later probably the happiest in the best shape I've been in mentally physically financially yeah and it's funny that like, I stopped drinking and stopped taking drugs so yeah
0: thank you so much for sharing all that with us and there's this, there's so much that you've said there that there's so much I want to comment on that I don't even know where to start with it but um, thank you for your vulnerability there with with sharing how dark things got for you and I, for one, am very, very pleased that you managed to push through that because, as I have mentioned, you do have these incredible ideas which you are bringing into fruition. And I, I feel that you're someone who really has a lot to share with the world. And certainly through your experiences, um, I think people will be able to relate to you. So um, you're already doing great work, but I think there's going to be even more great work coming from you. And I'm really looking forward to, to watching this space. You mentioned, um, I guess, conscious dancing. And, yeah, I think it's, I think it's so important because... One thing I know is when I stopped taking drugs, I found that I couldn't dance as well just on alcohol as I did on drugs. And then take it one step further and stop drinking alcohol, I found I couldn't dance at all. And I found this really strange because I danced as a kid. It's not like I I can't dance. But there was this mental block around it. Everything around dancing was was wrapped up in drink and drugs. And I actually had to go to something called Five Rhythms, which is... um, A kind of a two-hour dance I don't know if it's ecstatic dance but dance meditation type thing and I had to go there on quite a few occasions just to get my body used to dancing sober it was it was a it was a barrier I had to push through Uh, and the thing with dancing it's dancing is one of the most natural things it's it's so good for our soul and we've lost it to drink and drugs so yeah i for one am very excited to see what ventures you come up with um in terms of the sober partying
1: yeah so i'm totally with you there i believed that when i was younger growing up i thought my class myself was a fairly good dancer and the older i got even on the drugs i can't kind of, you do lose your rhythm a little bit but you still the drugs and the drink kind of still make you move your body and then yeah for me um the thought i that's probably one of the 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 scariest things of me thinking oh fuck if I drinking drugs I'm not going to be able to dance and the reality is I I probably can't at the moment I've got two events one's called Hotbed which is kind of feel good house music vocal soulful which I can actually you'll never see me on a dance floor but I'd always be kind of backstage just kind of jigging moving left and right but yeah you probably won't see me on a dance floor in a club now where people are on drugs dancing probably my own insecurities, probably an ego. It's something I'm trying to break down at the moment and but I'm sure it's something that will come with time. You know, I've met a lot of people recently that have gone sober and they said the same that you know they're really struggling to fit in and dance and enjoy themselves and let their hair down. So my friend Amp Flauva, who I not, you know very well from his parties, he runs many parties, he's been around the dance music industry for years. He runs an event called Rise and Shine in the UK, which is a sober party. Um, Very spiritual compared to the party that we're starting, but it is still an amazing party. Um, Probably one of the biggest parties in London, I think, at the moment. Um, That is a non-alcohol party. Um, So we're starting a new event called Believe in London in the new year, myself and my business partners. Um, It's a sober event where we are encouraging people to leave leave behind the booze, leave behind the drugs. Um, We are going to have zero alternatives, so there's going to be no other alternatives to kind of get you high or natural highs we just want people to be high purely on the music and the atmosphere um, it's going to be in a really amazing venue in london we're going to have guest guest panels um, which will interview some very influential people in the dance music world that have been rehab uh, sorry that have been recovery or have been through rehab and have come out on the other side um, we'll be interviewing guests from the crowd that are also in recovery Um, But, the most important thing is you will still be able to get your, your fix of music. Now, what's amazing about this party is the event will be on a Tuesday night and we found from research that the stigma around the word suicide Tuesday is when most people, youngsters, are feeling at their lowest on a Tuesday. It's normally their second day back at work It's normally the drugs start to wear off after the weekend and it's when they have funny thoughts, crazy thoughts go through their head. So we're thinking, well, if we can get these people after work on a Tuesday night to come to a venue in London under the arches of a railway station, we can convert this arch into this beautiful space. We can educate them. We can give them advice through different methods, whether it be we have drug counselors, whether we've got psychiatrists, whether we've got fitness and nutrition experts, which we're gonna have all of these here. But most importantly, you're still going to be able to dance because we're going to have some amazing house, techno, drum and bass and garage DJs that will play music from eight till midnight. Now, we're, you know, the idea is to stop the party at midnight because I think when you're not taking drugs or drink, it's hard to dance all night. And it's one of my phobias of, oh, hell, I'm going to have to stay up till 6am and dread it. But now, you know, if you can get your fix and finish at 12 and go home and go to bed and get up for work, but you still feel like you've been to a rave and everyone around you is on that same vibe, and I think, you know, it's it's a, it's a stepping stone for people in the right direction. Um, and, you know, in, I'm not trying to say don't, you know, don't go to clubs, don't go to festivals, because at the end of the day, this is where I make my money and it's, it's, a, it's an important part of my business. But there is an alternative that I'm going to be putting on for people like me that have struggled or are suffering, that want to go and party around like-minded people that are sober. So, yeah, that's coming in uh, 2020 um, in London
0: i 'm looking forward to that, and I think I actually happen to be in london for the for the launch night, so i 'll be coming along. There is a conscious shift at the moment that 's happening there are There are many people who are consciously choosing to stop drinking alcohol or to stop taking drugs. There are also many people who are, are maybe going the other way and hitting rock bottom with it and then maybe being forced to uh, to, to stop drinking and taking drugs so I think it 's amazing to see that there is a growing support network not in only in the party scene but there's a, a growing support support network of people coming out and talking about this kind of stuff you know male suicide rates are incredibly high um so it's it's great to have somebody like yourself who people do look up to and respect in that world uh, who are you know openly talking out and saying hey yeah i've been through this uh, so i think that's incredible but i'd really like to know what what got you into taking drugs in the first place what would you say was the thing that that took you there
1: that's a great question. Um, yeah, it's, I haven't been asked that before. But yeah, I, I remember as a kid growing up, I had a really good upbringing. My mum and dad are, are amazing. They're still together, really healthy upbringing. Uh, I had an amazing sister. But I do remember as a kid being brought up around alcohol a lot. Um, not alcoholics, but I remember I come from a very large family, an Irish family. And uh, all of my aunties and my uncles and my mum and my dad, it was just, they drunk a lot. But back in the sixties, seventies, eighties, and I suppose when I grew up in the eighties, drinking was was quite a big thing. You know, we had a lot of weddings and christenings, and you know, I'd be dragged to the pub every weekend. And you know, if you wanted to go home, your parents would go, "We're not going home. Just put three chairs together and lie down there." So I was brought up around drinking and smoking, but I didn't. I don't ever remember. I don't think I ever heard about drugs until I was a teenager. Um, So yeah, I was kind of brought up in pubs and um, parties. And then I think my first—I've never tried a cigarette in my life, weirdly—and um, I've never smoked weed in my life, so I was never a kid that was kind of pushed into kind of try this cigarette or try this. But when I joined the army, I remember when I was eighteen, I went out with a load of uh, soldiers, a load of my friends, to a club in Brighton, and they were all taking ease, and I'd never taken anything in my life, never thought about it, and they were like, "Try one," I was like, "What's it do?" And they were like, "Well, you get really feel amazing," and I was like. Can you die? They were like, Yeah, I was like, but you won't. And I was like, okay, give it." And I remember taking it and that was it. Fucking life was just the first pill I'd ever done. Going around the club, that Club and just cuddling everyone and strangers and waving at everyone like an absolute. I look back now and I'm like, God, what's a twat? But you know, that's what happens. It's my first pill and that was it for me. I was like, You this feeling, you cannot get from better than sex, better than anything. And um Yeah, it just started pills, pills, pills. So every weekend in the army, I was taking pills. Um, And we were dodging a drugs test um, by certain methods and, yeah, taking lots and lots of pills. And then I didn't actually try any other drug. I didn't try MDMA till probably 20s. I didn't try ketamine till late 20s. But then I discovered coke at, like, 25, 26. But that was only, you know, I wasn't doing it every weekend. It's only kind of when I went out. But yeah, I think, yeah, drugs, yeah, I was introduced to drugs at 16. Yeah, I mean,
0: uh, yeah, I remember my first pill as well. And uh, yeah, it's this beautiful euphoric feeling. Uh, And I guess what happens though, when you take something like ecstasy or MDMA, you are connected to this beautiful feeling of love, which I think sometimes in the world that we live in, it can be quite hard to connect to that feeling of love because there's so much hate and anger in the world. But uh, so when you feel that that beautiful feeling, it's a state that we should aim to feel all the time. Maybe not quite as high as when you're taking ecstasy, but certainly to feel that 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 state of love um, is is something that I think we should be we should be aiming for and is achievable, but with a lot of hard work. Uh, but you mentioned coke as well, and so that's kind of that's the opposite in terms of a drug, isn't it? That's um, if you look at MDMA being this high vibrational drug that takes you to the this this feeling of love I think coke is more of a low vibrational drug that keeps you in the base level chakra um it kicks in the those base level instincts so survival competition I mean I don't (laughs) I don't know about you but I've been in many a party where everyone's taking coke and it's who can speak the loudest and the longest and yeah yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and uh yeah I guess the other base level instinct is fucking one coke um it's something and i use the word fucking because that is the only way it can be described on coke and i feel like we're kind of we're all searching for something we're searching for this connection but we're living in a world that is to a degree devoid of that connection so we're searching for this connection and we're searching to feel something when we do coke we're we're kind of still trying to feel something by taking this drug we numb ourselves from the thing that it is that we're trying to feel we're just we're fucking hard and fast. And sorry, mum, if you're listening out there. But, but this is what we're doing. We're, we're, we're fucking hard and fast because we've desensitized ourselves. We're so numb. Um, we're, we, you know All of our senses have been dulled. We're searching for this connection. We're searching to feel something. So I feel like we live in a world that is devoid of connection. But we know that we're meant to be connected to something. So we're out there searching for this connection, but when we can't, and we're searching to feel something, but when we can't feel it, and when we can't connect to it, we end up taking drugs like ecstasy to try and feel it, or we take cocaine to desensitise us from the fact that we're actually unable to to find that connection. But with something like coke, and I'm going to use the word again, we could be fucking literally anyone, because... There is no connection there. We, 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 we've desensitised ourselves from that connection and from that feeling. And by doing that, we actually end up just feeding into this circle of, of searching and numbing and searching and numbing. So in our search for connection, we end up searching for that connection in the wrong places and in the wrong, and in the wrong faces. And I mentioned earlier that um, when it comes to dancing, um, dancing was so wrapped up in taking drugs and drinking alcohol for me And I'm going to be honest, I would say about 70% 70 of my sex life was wrapped up in drugs and alcohol as well, because we, you know, even when we're in a relationship, we are going out drinking and partying with our partners. So yeah, it it can be very difficult to to break that cycle and to to really reconnect with who you are again. But you've been on this journey of reconnection to self recently, and how are you finding it, um, socializing in that same circle, or are you finding that you're having to pull yourself away from that circle?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, it's been fucking really hard to be fair. Hard in some places. Like, I can sit like i you know I can go for meetings with people now that are sober, and I can leave that meeting or lunch and we're buzzing together. So with the right people around me on the same vibrations and things, I li- I leave that meeting. Um, people I'm working with now like Emily and Johnny that are putting together documentaries and stuff for my festivals in Africa we're all on the same kind of vibe and on the same path and we buzz off each other and I get that feeling like I did when I, when I used to do coke but you do get alienated and now if I go backstage at one of my parties or you know backstage at a festival I know that people are like oh god here he is fucking hell put your gear away um, and they feel they feel on edge and they feel a bit anxious and I I totally get it because I was in their shoes 29 weeks ago. I'm probably probably a bit of a hypocrite, you know, it's no no secret, you know, for years and years and years I I sold drugs, you know, from quite a high level to, to also being at the bottom of the pecking order as well. So the fact that I've just stopped taking drugs and I'm preaching about how bad they are for you now, I've obviously got a lot of stick, which I accept. You know, there's a lot of people saying that I'm a hypocrite, which they're entitled to, but it's just, I decided to do it. But it is really hard. It's really hard to now sit in a room with a load of people that are on coke. I don't struggle with alcohol, with people around alcohol, because I don't need alcohol. I can sit at a dinner table now with 10 people, as I did on Sunday when I met you. And, you know, we, we for the first time, you know, we all sat around and had a, had a, had a dinner, a roast dinner, you know, and I laughed and I giggled and I didn't need any alcohol. So, yeah, I don't really struggle, but I do struggle now being in a club around everyone that's absolutely off their tits to kind of fit in on conversations and stuff. But what I've noticed now is I'm actually seeing my events in a much different perspective to what I did before. You know, I'm I'm seeing you know I'm seeing cracks I didn't see before because I'm probably oblivious to them. And oh shit! How, how you know how how am I letting this this person get away with that? You know, I'm not picking up on the crack. You know, you, you pick up on everything when you're sober. And maybe I spent so many years drinking and doing drugs. I kind of missed a few things at my parties that were kind of, we could have improved. So yeah, it's for me, I'm fine now. The first, first 10 weeks was difficult. Now I'm like 20, uh, this Sunday, will be 30 weeks before, you know, it, I'll be a year. And yeah, I'm I'm happy. That's all, that's all that matters. I'm super, super, super happy at the moment. Happiest I've ever been. So no matter what people say about me online. And I, I do get a lot of stick online or what people might say about me in WhatsApp groups. Um, cause I've had that as well. And, uh, it would have damaged me a year ago. If I'd have known, known I was the stock of a WhatsApp group a year ago when I was on drugs, it fucking probably would have sent me over the edge. But now, I'm just like, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me at all now. I'm just like, I know I'm on the right path. and I know I'm talking sense. I, I know, I'm, I'm only trying to help people in what I'm saying. But I'm not trying to neg people out or stop people taking drugs. I'm just trying to say to people, look, don't need to take as many. You probably don't need to do it every weekend. Um, but, yeah, everyone's got an opinion.
0: I don't see it as being hypocritical. I see it as being someone who's gone through a journey and come to the other side and then is able to, to see the light, if you like, or to see the, um, I don't want to say error of your ways because, you know, I, I, I don't want to ever say that, you know, the journey we've been on is an error. It's, it's a massive learning curve and it's brought you to, to where you are now and it's brought you to a place where you're actually trying to do something to help people and, and I, I think that's incredible. I think, it's a, I think it's a beautiful journey you've been on, despite it being incredibly difficult. I think it's a beautiful journey that has taken you to a place that you are now... Ready to start working in all these different ways, where you can help people in in, in these different ways. Um, and as I said, as, as I said earlier, I think there'd be a, a lot of people who are going through stuff who will be able to connect to you because of your background of taking drugs for a long period of time and your party background, and then you're moving into something, moving into this new sober lifestyle. And, and what you just said then is you're the happiest you've ever been, and that's incredible. If if we put one message out on this podcast today, let that be it. So, yeah, in, in terms of talking about the work that you're going to be doing, I would love to hear a little bit more about the school that you've set up in Uganda.
1: Okay, yeah, so the ABODE project is a government-registered uh, school in East Africa in, uh, in a town called Kabali, which is um, around about seven hours away from um, the international airport in Uganda. Um, it's a non-profit organisation that was set up by um, ABODE um, around about two and a half years ago. Um, but only within the last 18 months has really started to take shape. Um, We provide education, we provide um, accommodation for 100 children from some of the poorest, poorest areas of Uganda. Uh, We provide free nutritious meals a day, we provide free healthcare, we provide um, music, education, we provide everything. As an English school would run in the UK, a British school, um, they're on you, you know English, English curriculum, etc. This is what we provide. Um, we cover all costs. We've got some very large sponsors involved from the dance music world, um, and yeah, we're just giving a hundred. We've got a hundred kids and eleven teachers, thirteen staff in total that are in full-time employment, um, and we're giving them an education that they wouldn't get if it wasn't for us guys going out there. You know, these kids come from very very poor communities where the average wage for a family in that community is between seven to ten dollars a month so that it is survivor out there uh, day-to-day, uh, Groundhog Day, as you'll call it. And, uh, yeah, we decided Africa, we've done, we've raised, I think, maybe 300,000 in the last two years um, for our project in Uganda. But I've done various fundraising campaigns over the last seven years for different cancer charities, which is, a, which is close to my heart, uh, kids' charities in the UK. But I do find um, that a lot of the money that we invest in the UK... You kind of don't know where it goes, and you know, I I know from my partner worked at Save the Children a few years back as a volunteer in the office. I know that, you know, she told me that a lot of the directors of these companies were coming in in main drovers and high performance cars, and I said, well, yeah, I guess these charities can't run at the levels and make the levels they do with volunteers. You need to pay staff, but then, you know, I just don't believe that directors of companies for a charity you should be driving around in underground cars, you know, that are paid for by the charity. So yeah, I decided to go to Africa. It was a massive risk but um, yeah we pulled it off and we've got this beautiful school. I'm now working with one of the biggest T V production companies in the UK, one of the biggest channels who are gonna be putting together a documentary about the school, about my journey, about Abo's journey um, about emerging talent from Uganda from our school, uh, mainly within music and kind of music production and DJs. But yeah, it's super it's, it's super. it's a super school. We've got amazing kids that couldn't read or write two years ago that are now, you know, performing at a very high level. Um, we've got teachers that are in full time education. We're just about to start a sustainability project, um, which O Beach IB for the Beach Club are funding, which they've um, offered to donate twenty five thousand pound a year for this new sustainability project which is um, it's called perma farming um, which will create jobs within the village and also allow us to grow our own food which will bring our costs down for, you know, our monthly cost down at the moment. So yeah it's amazing, it's a massive part of my heart, it's somewhere I will retire to probably soon. I'm going to build a house there and uh, yeah it's some, somewhere I want Freddie to grow up away from tablets and iPhones. And tablets, ecstasy tablets, <laughs> iPhones, and yeah, all this bullshit that you know our kids are just, including my son at the moment. You know, they're they're just lost. They're lost in technology. You know, we we become lazy parents, including myself. You know, you just give your son the iPad or YouTube for a few hours, and yeah, I just feel kids have just lost touch with what being a kid was about in in most cases. And I know if Freddie was to grow up in Uganda. I could teach him to be a good human, you know, keep him away from the drugs and the crime and the greed of this country. Um, yeah, I've got quite a lot of opinions about it. But yeah, this is where Freddie will grow up in Uganda, hopefully, when, he, when he's when he's old enough. And uh, he'll hopefully take on the legacy that we've left behind, me and Pete and Joe from my boat
0: and when we get lost what happens we turn to the drugs as we've yeah. already just said yeah. so it uh, sounds like a nice life that you're going to create for Freddie which is great and I think that's incredible that Ocean Beach are donating as well obviously this is the home of uh, Hotbed Ibiza I remember going to, going to Hotbed in the summer and being asked to, for anyone on the guest list to donate five euros and through that you made how much?
1: Yeah so o- Beach have been our biggest supporter just since we started uh, Dwayne Lillica who's one of the owners he's donated God knows what now. Personally, he sponsors a hell of a lot of children out there through himself. That's through his own, his own money, um, which you know he don't, didn't really. We don't put anything online. It was kind of just done through the kindness, not through ego. Um, Ocean Beach gave us. Dwayne got married this year, and his guests were asked to donate to the Abode project instead of presents, and I think we got just around about ten thousand pounds from his wedding. He's just also given us £15,000 from donations for guest lists for Hotbed, as well as they raised another £25,000 for a charity that my son benefits from called APNIF, which is a special niche charity. Um, so these guys are just constantly, constantly supporting us, you know, and they don't need to do it, you know, and they are the only club that support us, um, which is amazing. And, you you know, you're thinking Ibiza, you're spending £15 on a bottle of water and there's children all across Africa, India, Nepal, other countries that are drinking out of muddy puddles, if they're lucky. And you know, there's people dying at first every day and there's clubs charging 15 dollars water, fifteen pounds for water. And you don't see any of these clubs helping any, I mean, well, from from what I can see. I think there's some big high profile DJs that do a lot for charity, but I don't see any of these clubs donating any money to build wells in Africa. Um, you know the cost of a well to build a well in Uganda is two thousand dollars. That's like how many bottles of water? Hundred bottles of water to build a well. But, uh, Yeah, assassin on the subject.
0: <laughs> well, the thing is, it doesn't take much either, does it? Like you said, five five pound for everybody on the guest list. It's not it's not a lot to pay, uh, and it makes such a huge difference. I really love the idea of like high profile people starting to get involved in this kind of work as well because we have you know we have this whole thing we've you known insta whether it's insta famous or actually famous we sometimes follow the path that celebrities put out there for us but these celebrities have these high profiles and they have the opportunity to to use their voice in a way that can be beneficial for the world and i, I, don't, I don't think it takes much to do that and it, and it just takes a few pounds here and there for for people to donate to make such huge differences to people in the world who have absolutely nothing, so I feel like I've said this many, many times to you, but love, love, love the work that you're doing right now.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I think with the uh, the whole influencer thing is something I'm I'm quite outspoken. I'm known for that. With with me, I, I'm a straight shooter. There's no there's no kind of second guy, second personality. You, you just me. I'm quite raw, and I say how it is. And I think like the influencers. Aren't doing enough, you know, they're, they're not influencing, they're making. There's a lot of these, especially with male and female influencers, I, I, I seem to follow loads of them just because that's kind of my circle. But some of them have got millions of followers between them. And I think if, these, if 10 of the biggest influencers from London, these girls that were four years ago working in the city as a PA, and now they've suddenly got a million followers from, from just standing in front of a camera in designer clothes, you know, they've got a million followers, and between 10 or 15 of them, they got 15 million followers, I, 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 I can't remember the last time I saw any influencers do anything for charity, anything for the human race, anything for the homeless, anything for the local community. And this is what our younger generation are inspiring to be. They all want to be influencers. They're looking up to these, and I'm thinking, fucking hell! Like, if I can raise, I can. I'm good at raising money. I bet you know, if I can raise ten thousand pound in two days, I can normally do it through my 25,000 followers on Instagram. And I think in these pictures, people aren't doing enough. And I say it all the time, we're not looking out for each other. The homeless problem in London could be eradicated overnight if all of the biggest influencers and DJs came together and maybe just done a massive gig and raised a million pounds. You know, It's just, yeah, it's really frustrating. And it's something I'm really passionate about, something I'm going to be going in more and more into in 2020, is to try and get these super wealthy DJs to just do a little bit more for charity and a little bit more for, not even like, you know, I get a lot of sticks saying you do. You know, why are you doing stuff in Africa? Why are you not doing stuff close to home? And yeah, I probably, sh- I probably will start doing more cl- stuff close to home. But maybe we need to start focusing on what's around us and in London, especially. Everybody's moaning about the homeless situation, and I, from what I see, blaming it on the governments or Labour or Tories. Everyone not doing enough. Um, but yet we're not doing anything about it. We're just walking past them every day. But we could, we could, we could change that so easy, so so easy. Not, you don't have to give people money. Just show a bit of love to people. Get the homeless, give them a bit more confidence. Sit down and talk to them. You don't have to give them money. We've got enough stuff in our in our houses, in our garages. To, to, to help these people on the streets yeah. but yeah you love 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 yeah, yeah I wasn't the best but I haven't been the best person over the last 20 years I've been in prison I've been in prison in Canada I've been in prison in the UK I've been in military prison I've sold drugs I've been a bit of a shitbag boyfriend to most girlfriends you know I'm, I'm no angel but I do think there is You, everyone gets a second chance third tenth, fifth, tenth chance but there's a point in your life where some people go for a change and I've, got, I've gone through that at 36 37 and um I think I've become, I've become a nicer person and I have seemed to have healed a lot of uh, shitty relationships with mates and people I've fallen out with organically over the last nine months. I just feel like I've become a better person and uh, a lot more loving, a lot more caring. But love, 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 as you said. Yeah.
0: <laughs> love, love, love. But it is, it is all about love at the end of the day. We have these two sides of the coin. We have love and we have hate and we have fear, of course, as well, which is part of it all. But I think, yeah, when you move into this this this, this higher state of love that we, we mentioned earlier and you start to feel that connection for those people around you, you kind of, you want to do something to make a difference. And going back to what you were saying about the homeless there, um, you know, I've had many people give me funny looks or pull me up when I've maybe given some money to, to somebody who's homeless saying, hey, that person might not even be homeless, but... I always just think if every £10, £1 that I give to somebody on homeless on the street, if one or two of them is somebody who is pocketing it and isn't actually homeless, I've still given to eight people. Yeah. And I would rather do that because what, what is a pound to, to most of us? It, it's nothing. Um, and we're such hoarders. You said that you, you made a really good point there about we've got enough in our garages, in our sheds. Um, we just have to look at how supermarkets throw away food at the end of the day instead of giving them to to homeless charities or people on the streets or people are ma- homeless people are made to go through bins to find this this food and we have enough there. We, we have so much in our world, but we sit on it and we hoard it. And obviously we have the top, I don't know what is it, the top couple of percent who are sitting on so many billions, <laughs> billions and billions of pounds who are never going to spend that money in a lifetime. Their, their, their children and their children's children aren't going to spend that money in a lifetime. And then we've got people d- dying and destitute on the street. And, uh, yeah, it just takes me back to this this connect stroke, disconnect again. I think when we're, when we're connected and we recognise that we are all one, I, th- I think you then start to just feel this need to do something about it. And it seems to me that you've, that, that need is there for you right now.
1: Yeah. Um, no, totally. I'm just... <laughs> Yeah, I've got, I've got everything I need in life now. I've had money, I've lost money, I've now got money again. If I lost money tomorrow, I think I'm in a place now where, you know, I'll be a bit peed off for a couple of days, but you just, yeah, I think being, doing all this stuff in Africa and seeing how much these people look at, they, they share. You give, you give a kid uh, a banana or an apple or an orange or a, a cake in Africa, they will, and there's four of them, they will split it into four, without even saying split that into four. They won't grab it out of your hands. and run off of it. Everything is split out there, and they look after each other um, in in Uganda in East Africa. And I feel like it just doesn't happen here. It's just dog eat dog at the moment. Not not everywhere, but it's a, the music industry is kind of dog eat dog. People are just like want to make loads of money. They want to get to the top. It's about record sales. And uh, as a, pro- I'm very different to other promoters. You know, I'm not. I never really stands, I try not to boast online about record sales or ticket sales or numbers or how much we're smashing it because do people want to hear that you know what I mean I'd like to, I'd like to show this is how much we have raised a charity this is how many lights we change if you look at my inbox now you know on Instagram and you see that hundreds of messages I've had from kids youngsters saying I need help can you help you've inspired me your journey's so inspiring I can't post all them online but that's the stuff that I buzz off now and I don't buzz I don't buzz off of course I buzz, I buzz off ticket sales it's my business but I don't do backflips and get super excited to that we've absolutely smashed it. And, you know, I've always, always said, amongst all our success of Abode, are we doing enough? Are we doing enough? Are we, for the, all these kids that are spending money with us, that are leaving the club on a Monday and having to face reality while we're putting the next party on sale, let's get the next ticket, so let's smash it, smash it, smash it. Are we actually doing enough to support these kids, which is where belief came from? Because we're absolutely killing it in life as a, as a business, but what these kids have actually come and are having to face reality on a Monday and Tuesday and the back the, 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 the base of going back to work and debt and struggles, to, you know, and how are they going to get to the next wave? But, which is where belief came from, you know, trying to China start a party and a foundation where we can help youngsters that might be struggling, you know, to show there is, there is another part side to dance music and that's, that's what I'm doing with it. You know, I don't want to talk about how successful we are. It's just boring and it's gloating and it's boasting and that's not what I'm about anymore. Um, yeah
0: well I believe in believe and I'm very much looking forward to it uh, coming into fruition and yeah having that support for people who are going through that that come down on the Monday and Tuesday I think that's a huge thing well I'm really excited to have uh, had the opportunity to do this podcast with you Um, we move in the same circle of friends so often, when I have spoken about my long-term plan being to set up a, a school or an orphanage in South or Central America, and then my journey of still being in the party scene but moving from alcohol and drugs, many of our mutual friends have said, "You must speak to Kai." And uh, when I started doing these podcasts, I was like, "Wow, yes, I, I must speak to Kai." Uh, and having you know, we obviously we just met last week, and we we had a chat whilst we were on a on another beautiful walk, and I just um, I started to recognise that. There was much more alignment between us than what I actually had current, you know, had previously realised from what friends had said. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's um, it's an absolute pleasure to be sat here doing a podcast with you, and uh, you know, I can feel that maybe uh, maybe in the future there'll be some kind of co-creation that we can that we can work on. So, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that unfolds. And as I mentioned earlier, you spoke about taking your own life, and I just I'm I'm so happy to to see somebody who's been into that dark place sitting here today only 29 weeks later and just being so full of positivity and love and feeling connected and having all this incredible this incredible stuff to give back to the world Um, I think I think the world's a beautiful place if you choose to see it and we do have to choose it and it can be lovely to see life's tapestry unfolding and I can just I can see how it's unfolding for you. I can see how your journey has taken you to this place where you've, you've now just got so much to give from a really great level of understanding as well. And a great level of being able to connect to the people who are going through the things that you have gone through. Um, so yeah, let say I for one, I'm very, very grateful to be doing this podcast with you. So thank you for joining
1: me. Thank you. It's my first ever podcast I've ever done. So yeah. Um... No, I've had a blast. I've really enjoyed talking. Um, I wanted to speak from the heart and speak the truth. And, uh, yeah, I think think you're amazing at what you do. And I'm I'm looking forward to listening back and listening to other ones that you've done and reading your book, which you've just given me. So thank you for that. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much.
0: And there's just one more thing that I would like to add before we come to the end of this podcast. You mentioned to me on the walk over here that you're the least spiritual person. And I just want to comment on that and say that there's many people who are walking this supposed spiritual path and who are talking a good spiritual game but aren't necessarily living up to the words that they're saying. You, Kai, you are walking the walk. You have worked your way through the darkness and you are now shining your light for all to see. It doesn't get more spiritual than that in my books. So thank you so much once again, Kai, for joining me on the last episode of Series 1 of The Spirit of Life in ibiza podcast there is something that i would like to end this final podcast of the season with the theme of suicide seems to have inadvertently but intricately woven its way into these podcasts it was never my intention to bring guests onto the show that have had experiences with the theme of suicide and nor did i realize this to be the case until it unfolded in front of me yet this theme does seem to be present In the first episode, I spoke of my own suicidal thoughts when I was a teenager. In the third episode, Richard Stokes spoke about the loss of three of his friends to suicide. In the penultimate episode, Lena Sophia spoke about the attempt to take her own life. And now, here in this episode, Kai has also spoken about his suicidal thoughts. That's four out of the six episodes that I have created it seems to me that we have created a world that is so far away from the true reality of who we are that many of us struggle so hard to function in it that we consider removing ourselves from the reality that we have collectively created this has to change but for this to change we have to remember the true reality of who we really are rather than the creation of what this physical reality has made us become to do this we must search within We must face our demons and reconnect with our true selves and our true wisdom. Then slowly, slowly, step by step, and together, armed with this knowledge, we can consciously and collectively create a world that we are all able to function in. Not only function in, but thrive in, whilst realizing our highest potential and perspective of self. This may seem impossible, but there is no problem in humanity that cannot be solved by humanity making a different decision. We just all have to make that decision together. My hope in bringing these podcasts to you is to help people to find a different perspective on the way that we are currently doing things. Just because something has always been done that way doesn't mean that they must continue that way. It is time for us to open our minds to change and a different way of doing things. We all have the power within us to make different conscious decisions. We all have the power to change we all have the power to be the best possible versions of ourselves. It has been said many times that change must come from within. So to quote a very famous saying, be the change that you wish to see. Because by being that change, you shine your light on others to do the same. And by being that change, you shine that light through love instead of the anger, aggression and fear that we currently see. So thank you once again for listening and please join me for series two as we go even deeper into some of the issues that are stopping us from shining our light for all to see. Series two, coming soon.